शिला गुरुदेव की जाय श्रीमन महाप्रभु की जाय श्री श्री राधा दामोदार जी की जाय हरिनाम संकीर्तन की जाय गौर भक्त वृंद की जाय गौर प्रमानंद हरी हरी वो सो प्रणाम टोल गुड मॉर्निंग थैंक्स फॉर कमिंग हियर प्रेजेंट फिजिकल प्रेजेंस एज वेल एज दोस प्रेजेंट देयर इन वर्चुअल फॉर्म um so let me know please if the for those who are connected online if the streaming is working fine with you i mean basically let me know if it's not working fine with you <laughs> and if the audio is like interrupted so i may change change the the streaming the connection wifi but i think it it will be okay it's working fine maraj oh, okay thank you <laughs> so in case it does not happen eventually you let me know by private message better with with text or something or you can speak so we are continuing with our morning uh, istagosti series trying to address different questions or topics you may like to to present to share whether maybe they're connected with uh, what we have we are we speaking in our in the afternoons about mahaprabhu's pastimes in shrinavadip or whether connected to whatever may be of your present interest and, and need mm-hmm. so that's it i don't know if there are any questions no i can ask about yes i have one question here from dial nitai prabhu uh, i wanted to ask you about this verse from the bhagavatam uh, from the brahma's prayers uh, 10:14:8 when uh, brahma explains that one who of patiently suffers the reactions of his karma but continues to uh, praise the word will be uh, uh, liberation is his righteous uh, claim or something mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. so maybe to elaborate on this how to perceive this verse and maybe also uh, how to understand that we are accepting our karma in the right mood Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I don't know if the ones connected online were able to hear the questions, so I briefly will <coughs> recap. <coughs> so Dalitai Prabhu is asking about a very well-known verse from the Srimad Bhagavatam, which comes in one very well-known section called Brahma Stuti. So Brahma Stuti is the 14th chapter of the 10th canto of the bhagavatam which are the prayers of brahma after the famous brahma vimohan lila where brahma becomes totally uh, bewildered by the extreme display of uh, madhurya anaishwarya that krishna shows in the, in the beginning it's so much madhurya so much intimacy krishna being with his cowherd boys friends in, in the picnic, so too much intimacy and in, Brahma is bewildered. He's confused and thinks, he cannot be my guru, he must be a cheater, he's not behaving as I saw him at the beginning of creation, like God, he's just informally eating with left hand and putting something on the food, on the mouth of his friends and his friends are putting their own remnants on his mouth. No, they are trying something their mother sent to them in their tiffin. They try something, oh, Krishna, this is so nice, this is the best thing, you try. And they put in his mouth their own remnants with left hand. So for Brahma, this was too much. Because Brahma is known as someone, Bidhi, 
or someone who very strictly follows all rules and regulations, and here in Brindown, that was like thrown out of the window, basically. <laughs> so that was the, be the beginning bewilderment of Rama with Madhurya in terms of intimacy, the intimacy of Braj. And eventually, as we know, to make long section short, uh, as we say yesterday, I think, at one point Krishna shows he expands in, in, the, in, in the form of different calves and friends, so that's a lot of Aishvarya, like manifesting his greatness, his godhood, expansions, and then from those forms, millions of Narayans appearing, so a high overdose of Aishvarya, no? overdose of Madhurya on the beginning, and then extreme Aishvarya on the two sides. So at this point you can imagine, as my Guru Maharaj will say, the four heads of Brahma were like spinning like nothing. No? So after this, he acknowledges his confusion, his mistake, his offense, if you will, towards the, the form of Krishna, which he misunderstood, and he starts to offer praise and prayers, begging forgiveness, and, 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 and there are very nice prayers. There are 40 verses. Actually, that's a very important, very important section of the Bhagavatam, which, in which Brahma establishes a lot of tattva and siddhanta about who Krishna is, what's his position, what's the position of the Brajavasis, and the love of the Brajavasis, and he ends eventually praying, my, my wish is to be born at least of some little dust or something here in Vrindavan, to remain in touch, very similar to how Uddhava prays uh, in connection to the love of the Brajavasis. So, so the verse, that's a little context for where the verse is appearing, to, to, to grasp the the emotional background of each of these verses. There are 40. Very, very nice. And uh, so this one is, I will say, maybe the most well-known one of the 40 verses, the most popular or sometimes most quoted, but there are many, many nice and well-known verses, which is the eighth verse, which goes like this in Sanskrit. Mm-hmm. So, the Dayalnita is asking how, if, if we can elaborate on this verse and, and how to understand it properly and so on. So, the verse basically says, Tate anukampam shushamikshamanu. So, Tate anukampam, Brahma says, those people who are Intensely, susamikshimano means earnestly, earnestly, tati anukampam. Anukampam means mercy. So those who are very earnestly hankering for your mercy, he's praying to Krishna. He has Krishna in front of him and Brahma is crying and offering prayer. So those people who are intensely, earnestly hankering for your mercy, and now he will say, what did, what, how do they react? in their life, or how do they act? Bunjana ivadma kritam vipakam which means bunjana ivadma kritam they will tolerate all the results that come to their life as a result of their previous misdeeds, basically. Bunjana eva atma kritam vipakam basically means that. No? They, they have behaved wrongly in the past, so that creates some result, and they will Accept that. How? You say, how will they will endure with that? Hmm? While those reactions are coming to their lives, with their heart, 
Bach with their speech, and Bapu with their body, with these three functions, which is a classical way in, in, the, in which Shastra is mentioned sometimes, body, mind, and words, or body, mind, and heart, or similar, but the same idea is with, this, with all the functions, basically, of one's whole being, they will be offering namaste to you. In other words, they will praising you, offering pranam to you with their minds, hearts, words, body, while enduring those three actions that are coming. It's not that they are just like tolerating their karma, but in the context of receiving those reactions, they will be engaged in praising you. Now we will explain that. I'm just giving the general translation. Under four, in the last line of the verse, says, Therefore, such people, such devotees, become rightful heirs. Heirs, you say? Someone who is inheriting? Heirs. No? Inheritors <laughs> of Mukti uh, Pade. Which it's in a general way sometimes translated as rightful heirs for liberation, but as we will see actually Mukti Pade refers to Bhakti and the highest form of Bhakti. So basically that's the the idea of the verse. No? Brahma is explaining again. Those who earnestly wait won't hunger for your mercy, will tolerate all the reactions of the previous misdeeds. And while doing so, they will be offering their pranam to you with by mind, body, and words. And such people become rightful heirs to liberation on the highest form of bhakti. So that's the general idea of the verse, which in itself is, there's a lot there. So, again, Doyal Nita is asking some words on the verse and also how to understand this, how a devotee deals with one's karma. And Which was the last thing you said? The suffering, how to understand that we are tolerating in the right way. Okay, so how do we understand that we are tolerating in the right way, how we are dealing properly with our, the results of our previous misdeeds and so on. So, to begin with, uh, this verse is showing a certain level of tolerance. There are levels of tolerance, if you will. For example, we can speak in about two levels. I mean, many levels, but let's speak about two. <laughs> One that Krishna depicts in the Gita and the one depicted here in the Bhagavatam. Mm-hmm. So in the Gita, what does Krishna say? In chapter 2, verse uh, 14, he says, Matras parsas to kauntia sitos nasuka dukkalaha agama apaino nityas tams titik sasra bharata. So basically, he's saying, uh, Matras parsas to, he said, in, uh, in the same way that the, the seasons like winter or, 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 or summer, whatever, are coming and going, uh, suffering and, 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 and pleasure in this world, those experiences are coming and going. Uh, material level. No? Sometimes one thing, sukha dukkha, he says, sukha dukkha daha. And agama paignonityas tamstitikshasrabharata. Therefore, a wise person will tolerate them. This is an interesting idea because Krishna there is saying you have to tolerate dukkha, and we we'll say yes, of course, I have to tolerate suffering. But he said you have to tolerate sukha as well. You have to tolerate happiness, material happiness, no? and tolerate in the sense of do not get too much excited with that because it will be over also. <laughs> That's a way of tolerating. No? It's not like oh, I have to tolerate this happiness, but just like 
having the proper understanding of what's going on and it has a beginning and end. So in that way, I'm dealing with that, not like getting too much, too much exp- like hope about that because it will end. And when the suffering is coming, not getting too much depressed or desperate because it will end also. <laughs> so he, he, he gives this type of first level of tolerance in this verse, in the Gita. A mental type of tolerance, if you will. Like, with my mind I or intellect, I like understand the nature, the temporary nature of these two experiences, these two sides of the coin of duality, happiness, sad, cold, hot, and so on. So I deal with them accordingly. Like, Because, I mean, we cannot tolerate something if we do not have certain understanding of why to tolerate if I tell you, you have to tolerate, and you say, why? Shut up and tolerate. It won't work. I mean, you will go crazy. Like, why? I, can't, I, don't, I don't want it. But if you gain some insight about the nature of the world and the temporary fluctuating... Fluctuations. Fluctuations. Yeah, I was going for an ad- adjective. No problem. <laughs> Fluctuations of happiness and sad. You can somehow start to deal with that more maturely. And again, do not get too much excited when pleasure is coming, do not get too much depressed when the other thing is coming, but just becoming sober in the midst of the two and understanding this is the nature of the world. So instead of going to the extremes when one thing comes and the other thing comes, you have to be equipoised, like balancing between the two and not get too much grabbed into one extreme or the other. So, and, and again, you are when that situation is coming, and it's impacting on you, happiness, sukha, dukkha, and you go to your mind and you make it this determination. No? You, you have to really think about what's going on, actually going on beyond how I feel it, and, and you act accordingly. So that's one initial level of tolerance. But in this verse of the Bhagavatam, Krishna is giving another level of tolerance. He's, uh, Brahma, sorry. He's not saying, you just tolerate the stuff that is coming to your life and understanding its temporary nature. But here is saying, while doing so, you are fully engaged in praising Bhagavan with mind, body, and words. So there is something to say about that. And we will go to, that's a higher level. In the other level, you may not be just engaging all your functions in praise of Hari. But in this verse, it is shown that that person, while receiving all these reactions... It's actually like celebrating. Because engage, to engage in praising Hari is a celebration. So, and you may say, but why are you celebrating? All this karma is coming and you are dealing with all these fruits, karmic fruits of your past misdeeds and you are just like celebrating them. So again, this is another, <clears throat> another dimension of conceiving the whole thing. And for example, Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur gives a glimpse of why this is so in his purport to this verse. Always when we... It's good that every time we... we want to know more about certain verse that we refer to the... also... to the original commentators of our Sampradaya. Like, again, Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur, Srila Jiva Goswami, Srila Sanatana Goswami, and of course, our contemporary Acharyas like Srila Prabhupada, Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta, and so on. So Thakur, Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur, he gives the example of because this verse is speaking about the devotee dealing who, someone who eagerly wants Krishna's mercy. So if you sincerely want that, you are expected that Krishna will reciprocate accordingly. You know, if you approach him and say, 
I want to really embrace your mercy. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to do so. I have that disposition. So Krishna will make the corresponding arrangements for that to happen. Hmm? And the point is, the idea will be, if someone really eagerly hankers for Krishna's mercy, when the result of past misdeeds come to their life, they will see the, those results as part of Krishna's mercy. You follow? They won't perceive like separate, like, hey Krishna, I want your mercy, why this is coming? <laughs> In other words, someone who really wants Krishna's mercy, that attitude of wanting sincerely Krishna's mercy will, will make that everything that comes to the life of that devotee becomes Krishna's mercy. It's seen through those lens. And it's not just like imagination. Like, okay, this is Krishna's mercy, but actually it's something else. No, it's Krishna's mercy because you really wanted that. If you are hung, eagerly, passionately praying for Krishna's mercy, Krishna will bestow his mercy. And the point, of course, here comes... Krishna's mercy takes different forms. <laughs> it's not that Krishna's mercy is only coming in the form of caressing you. Oh, this is my mercy, kissing you, how nice you are. No, different ways of showing mercy. Tada Bhartsana Kripara Lakshani, to say in Shastra. For example, chastisement is a sign of mercy. Of, of course, certain way. I mean, it's not that, okay, I will chastise everyone and, and be Mahabhadan Gaya, a great mercy. But there's a place for that. So Thakur says that in, in his purple. He gives the example of a father. So he says, it's, this is like a affectionate father, real father, who sometimes will make his child drink milk, sweet milk, very nice, very tasty, and sometimes will make the child drink bitter neem juice for killing him because he may be sick of something. So neem, as we say, is antiseptic and all these things. So he has lots of medical properties, but it's like, oh, it's, it's bitter. I mean, you try neem or some sabji with neem, and it's bitter, I can tell you. <laughs> but it's part of his affection, again. His concern is, may my child be cured? And when he's giving milk, the concern is basically the same. May he be nourished. Or sometimes the, the father will embrace and kiss the child, but sometimes the father may have to chastise the child to educate him. To follow, so externally it takes different forms, but internally the principle is the same: affection, mercy. Srila Prabhupada will say in one purport in the Bhagavad, and uh, the guru sometimes may uh, ca caress the disciple, and sometimes will slap the disciple. It's a way of symbolizing that, no? With the same hand and the same movement, like this or like this. <laughs> but in both cases, he's giving his mercy. No? Like, the disciples shouldn't make a difference. Like, we're dead. just this one I like, not this one. <laughs> when asking for mercy, you, you cannot become too, like, exclusive. Like, I like mercy, but only in this particular format, that's what I, I like. Basically, you are saying, I know which type of mercy I need. So that's nonsense. If you are really asking for mercy, it means, and I need mercy. I don't have a clue about, I need help. <laughs> So you won't go to Krishna, Krishna, I need help. And this is the help I need very specifically. I, I can tell you, this this is a real thing. Krishna said, no, no. If you're asking for help, it means you don't know how to solve your particular situation. So let me develop, de deliver the treatment. No? It's not that you go to the doctor and say, doctor, I feel like this, so I think this will be the treatment and the medicine I should take. And, and you give the whole thing to him and say, well, why did you come to me, basically? You know everything, it seems. So... <laughs> 
So Vishwanath is giving this example, no? That sometimes Krishna's mercy will come in a particular way, and sometimes the acharyas make even more emphasis on the chastisement form of mercy. No? Because it takes some extra, how to say, confidence to show mercy in that way. If you are not too close to someone, you won't be doing that. You follow. Silasidhar Maharaj will say that once. It was nice. He said, like his guru, like he said, if your guru chastises you, you shouldn't feel like dejected or depressed. You, you should feel, oh, Gurudev is chastising me. He's taking the the stance to chastise you. You won't chastise any any and every person. Just some persons who are close enough to you as to take that stance. So he say, "Oh, Gurudev chastised me." It means he considers me his property. He, he he feels the right to do that with me. So if he considers me his property, I'm saved. He was that was his like his logic went in that direction. Gurudev chastised me. He considers me his property, therefore I'm saved. If my guru feels that I'm his property, I mean, that's all. I'm totally sheltered and sur- I mean, protected. So that's, a w- that's one way you can conclude. Of course, if you don't have the proper stance, say, why would they chastise me? That was not correct. What, what, he has something against me, and you feel or angry or depressed, and, but it's not the way of dealing with that. So Brahma is showing here how, how to deal with that, how a, a devotee should really... Uh, yeah, navigate these dynamics of mercy. Because again, we say mercy, but it's, it can be just a word. Now you have to really uh, act out your prayer for mercy. Because some, I, I always sometimes say that like in a tragic, comical way. Sometimes we pray to Krishna, give me mercy, give me mercy. And Krishna replies to your prayer in a particular way, but we do not, we do not appreciate how that reply is His mercy. And we start to run from, from that reply. And we start to pray to Krishna again. Krishna, give me mercy. See what's coming to me. And Krishna said, that was my reply to your previous request of mercy. And you are escaping from that. So now you are praying again. If I send something else, you maybe run away from that again. So we should be, how to say, um, mature enough to be willing to, I mean, to be open to whatever form that mercy will take, basically and have this confidence and faith, this is the treatment I need at the present moment. No? Whether it be caressing, embrace, kissing, slapping, chastisement, I mean, it's se- that's secondary, that's a form. The important thing is the substance is mercy. I don't care for the external presentation. If we care more for that, it means we are externally oriented, not saragrahi, but barabahi, attached to the form. We shouldn't care in which packaging mercy is coming to us. If we are really earnest for mercy, as this verse say, you don't care for which form mercy has, takes. You follow. That's the very first line of the verse. If you really are desperate for mercy, you won't tell Krishna, I'm desperate for mercy, but only I want that mercy in this particular form. He says, then you are not desperate for mercy. You are, I mean, you are just attached to the form. And, you know, if you are desperate, you will say, Whatever it takes, however it comes, I need it. Like if you are dying in the desert of, of, <laughs> of thirst, and you say, I need, I'm desperate for water, and someone brings you a, whatever, a glass of water, I, but I don't like that plastic glass. Please, can you bring some other glass? If not, I won't take the glass. I, I mean, you're not thirsty at all. You're, 
they're joking, incident. So, <laughs> so the devotee, real devotee, sincere devotee, hankering for mercy in a very passionate way, as it is depicted in this verse. Again, he's celebrating. He's dealing with all the reaction that comes in his life as part of Krishna's mercy. This is an important point. Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur, again in his commentary there and other parts, he makes some very radical statements there. Like, for example, he says, a devotee has no longer any karma. He says, he's no longer under the jurisdiction of karma. So, whatever comes to the devotee as a so-called reaction to previous misdeeds, that's no longer to be seen as karma, because he's now moving under the shelter of bhakti and the swarup shakti. So, even if it takes the form of karma, that, that's been ad administered, like filtered through the agency of Bhagavan, who is personally taking care of that devotee. So, it's coming as it, if it were karma, but it's coming with through Krishna's merciful glance and agency. So it's, happen it's having another purpose in the life of the devotee. So it's not to be seen as karma. Of course, that may be seen as, again, proportionate to how much one is a devotee, because Vishwanath says, a devotee has no longer karma. Okay, but wh what idea has Vishwanath Chakravarti in mind when he says a devotee? <laughs> is he thinking in the lowest possible type, or his idea of a devotee is like a devotee? No, so we could say as proportionately as we have put ourselves under the shelter of the Sarup Shakti, we are devotees, and corres correspondingly proportionate to that, yeah, no, no more karma, if you will, no. because that's the definition of a of a devotee. Mahatmana sumam pertaim daibim prakriti masritaha. Krishna says a devotee Mahatma is that he who is under the shelter of daibim prakriti of bhakti. But it still is a very important point. We as devotees, if we are trying to sincerely surrender and practice, even if some reaction comes to our life from some past situation, we should have this faith. Krishna is allowing this to happen, but in a particular way, so that it nourishes my, my bhakti even more. Srila Siddhar Maharaj will put it very nicely in, in this connection. Because, again, he's saying... Actually, the devotee, as he's, this verse is saying, he's celebrating, he's offering pranam to Krishna with mind, body, and words, while receiving these reactions. So we'll say, why you are celebrating? Siyamaras will say, because the devotee feels, actually, if I would have to receive the exact reaction to my past misdeeds, the reaction will be like this, and I don't have enough arms to make the whole size. But Krishna is so merciful that he has reduced such reaction to this, whatever is coming to me now. So, Jai Sri Krishna, he's so merciful. So, he's making that point, Srila Maharaj, while commenting on this verse. So that's another way to, of seeing that. No? A devotee, sincere, humble devotee will never feel like, why this is happening, or what to speak, this is too much. <laughs> But on the contrary, no? Silas and Ras will say one will feel embarrassed of having, of being paying so little for all that is coming to one's life. So, so that's the real take of a devotee who is earnestly hankering for mercy. I'm ashamed that, that Krishna is doing all this arrangement for me, reducing my karmic debt to this, and I'm receiving so much grace. 
and what I've done to deserve that, nothing. I've done exactly the opposite of that, to not deserve that. <laughs> and still Krishna is showering me with so much love. So I, I'm totally like ashamed of, of no of, of having paid so little and, and receiving so much and but of course naturally I, I want to do something to reciprocate and that's like fostering further and further uh, serenity and, and loving service. Hmm? So but that's the main stance, no? Silajiva Goswami will will say in his commentary to this verse like the, the, the very baseline, he said, basically, a devotee should regard, if you want to see what's coming as your own karma, however you may like to conceive those Krishna's adjustment, this is something that I need to go through. No? It's a simple line, but you have to walk the talk. No? <laughs> That's not so easy. No? On many occasions we still, many times we spoke about this idea, of, even before speaking about mercy, that's not so easy to understand in practice. First, we have to understand justice, karma. Because many, including some devotees, and we spoke that many times, many speak in terms of injustice. Even devotees. So injustice means that is not just. In other words, means that shouldn't be happening. But if we understand what karma means, karma means perfect justice. A divine law that so if you say this is in, in, un, unjust it means karma is failing the law of karma is like defective and, and it shouldn't be it cannot be like that so if karma is perfect there's no injustice in the world do you follow my point but many people sometimes even devotees do not embrace that idea <laughs> and at least they may say that but in practice they feel in themselves, why is this happening to me? This is unjust. So you are saying that karma, Paramatma, like fall asleep for a moment and got distracted and, and a whole karmic mess was there and it was, it's not just, it shouldn't be happening? No, no, no. So, so the, the point is, if we do not even understand properly justice or karma, how you will understand mercy? Because mercy is a transgression of justice. It's even more complex. Mercy means... You don't deserve that, but still that's coming. <laughs> so it's not so easy to, to realize that, no? Because sometimes, again, we see people receiving something, and, and that's a form of injustice, as I always like to say. Mercy is, is unjust. You don't deserve it, but it's coming. It's a divine injustice. <laughs> not a negative one, a beautiful one. It's divine injustice. I, it's not just. I didn't have the merit. I do not deserve it. But it's coming. To me and to others. So also be careful when some person is receiving mercy, not to feel like, hey, Krishna, why? Why are you giving that mercy? I mean, he's such, such a rascal. You know all the things that he has done to me. No? He, do not, he does not deserve that. And Krishna will tell you, that's the whole idea. He does not deserve it. That's the very principle of mercy. Costless mercy. No? There, is no, no, there is no cost from us. We didn't do anything to deserve it. There is a cost in Krishna's heart to be inclined to give the mercy, but not in us. <laughs> so be very careful when you are waiting in the line of mercy and demand justice. In that, in, in, Sila Semras will say that. If you are waiting in the line of mercy, be careful that while doing so, say, telling to Krishna, hey, he doesn't deserve that. Justice for him. And he will say, but you are on the line in the queue of mercy. 
So, uh, the more you say demand justice, the more you yourself are kicked out of that line of that queue. <laughs> and as I always say, it's not so easy to to deal with mercy also because mercy means we don't deserve that. And that requires a humble heart because imagine, and we want to live forever under the shelter of costless grace, costless mercy, which means I will be always aware that what I'm receiving, I don't deserve that. And I will never deserve that. No matter what I do, I will never deserve that. So you have to be humble to deal with that because the ego cannot swallow that pill. I will never deserve that. The ego wants to look, I deserve that. I did it myself. It's my merit. So that's why many times we get like, we fall from the platform of mercy because we cannot deal, we have not, we have not enough humility to remain, to keep in that platform feeling, I do not deserve it. I'm grateful nonetheless. I'm happy, blessed. No, sometimes the ego comes and I want to deserve something. Okay, so you have to go to the justice department. <laughs> or cause and effect. You do, it comes, you deserve. <laughs> so, so the point again, no? going back to the baseline, Jiva Goswami says, the devotee, whatever is coming to his life, her life, will feel, this is necessary for me to experience. Sila Maras will say, very nicely, whatever comes to your life, whether it takes the form of happiness, distress, or whatever, you should feel not only everything. How does, you have like a saying in English: "Nothing happens without, without a bad for without a bad reason" or something. Without a reason, yeah. Nothing happens without a reason. So that's a, a basic idea. Okay, for for some reason this is coming, but Sri Maharaj will say that's not enough. No, for us as Gaudias, we should feel whenever we are faced with these situations. Uh, this is the best thing that could possibly happen in my life. Not only for some reason this is coming, but this is the most, the ideal thing that should be happening now at this present moment. But the point is that sometimes we may be thinking this is the worst possible thing that, should, that it could be happening in my life. <laughs> so then we feel where we are in connection to this verse. Because again, Brahma is saying if you really hunger for mercy, you have this stance. Whatever is coming... This is the best possible thing that should could be happening, and I celebrate that you know, by glorifying Hari. So this is something that is said. Sanatan Goswami also in his Brihad uh, Bhashnab Toshani, his commentary to this verse. And there is something connected to what we spoke in the class first day, when he re- refers to the words Susamikshamano in this verse. He's saying, "No, Susamikshamano means like waiting." Very patiently. This is the first line of the verse. Waiting patiently while hankering for mercy. So we spoke the other day about patience and longing. While being patient, while waiting, you are not just waiting, but you are like increasing the fire of longing, of prayer for mercy. So, so he's saying this point here. Not that the devotee is waiting patiently for mercy while he's receiving the result of his previous re- misdeeds, hmm? understanding that uh, taking full responsibility for his previous acts, and on top of that appreciating Krishna's mercy in, that, in the form that those results are coming. Hmm? But he's waiting patiently. Hmm? And again, patiently doesn't mean just waiting 
looking at the clock and when this will be over. But at the same time, again, Tateyanukampam, he's intensely, earnestly hoping for mercy. So in the context of waiting, he's increasing his longing for mercy. And in, in meanwhile, he's with Bhadbhaputbhidvidadannamaste, engaging in with words, mind, and body, hmm? offering pranam to you, re- revering, uh, offering obeisances, being thankful and grateful for how Krishna is sending that particular result. And the fourth last line, again, Jiveta Jamukti Padesa Dayabak. Such a person, Brahma concludes again, by such an attitude, by such a integrity <laughs> towards mercy, he becomes a rightful heir, inheritor of the principle of liberation, or the highest form of liberation, mukti pade. Of course, Sanatana Goswami also says, because we have spoken many times, Gaudiya Vaishnava is not interested in mukti. So on one level we could say, well, we don't care for mukti. So why such a great devotee is, is rewarded with mukti? No? Because that devotee is not interested in mukti. So why mukti? So one possible explanation Sanatana Goswami is giving is, the expression mukti pade, or at the, the feet of liberation, if you will, or the platform of liberation, the Sanskrit can lend itself to be read as amuktipade. There are many ways, many times the explanations are given like that. So you put the A in the beginning and the A creates the exact opposite idea. Now, so amuktipade will mean uh, Krishna is him at whose feet uh, he, does, he, he does not, he, he, whose feet do not bestow liberation to his devotees, basically. No. Because he knows he's, they are not interested in that. So he won't give that they are not interested in. But actually he will drown his devotees in the ocean of his sweetness and service. Knowing that actually the devotees are rejecting mukti. As Rupa Goswami will say, that's just like an insignificant drop, mukti, compared to the ocean of, of bhakti rasa. Bhakti rasa amrita sindhu. Hmm? Which means ocean, basically. So that's one way of understanding that. Amukti pade. So Krishna won't give mukti. So no problem. Do not be afflicted. And if you still want mukti, then be afflicted that you have to change that idea. <laughs> but, but also, there's another way of saying, of understanding the word mukti pade without invoking this A in the beginning, like making it an antonym. You say antonym? Like synonym, antonym, the opposite. And, and that happens, there's a famous story, we, we shared that last time when we were narrating Mahaprabhu's Lilas in, uh, in Puri, where we spoke about the conversion of Sarvabhoma Bhattacharya. We, as we, yesterday we mentioned something, Sarvabhoma was converted by Sri Chaitanya Dev by seven days of silence, <laughs> and eventually Mahaprabhu was testing Mah- uh, the degree of Sarvabhoma's conversion. So exactly the, se- the next day after Sarvabhoma experienced this epiphany, I was dancing with Mahaprabhu, converted now a Gaudiya Vaishnava. In the morning next day, Mahaprabhu comes and give- brings Jagannath Prasad to the house of Sarvabhoma. Very early in the morning, Jag- Sarvabhoma was still sleeping. So he, was- he wanted first to taste that his bhakti, Sarvabhoma's newly acquired bhakti, was not tinged by the influence of karma, so to begin with. So his, and karma in this case means 
Karmakanda and all the different Vedic rituals that generally a Brahmin performs before eating, for example, Sandhya Bandhanam and so on. So Mahaprabhu brought Jagannath Prasad, and, and in devotional context, Jagannath Prasad is to be honored immediately without any type of preliminary rites. No matter if you are sleeping, if you didn't have a bath, if you are. In, in, Jagannath Prasad is there just in case if someone offers you Jagannath Prasad. Do not tell. Oh, not now. Uh, that would be offense to Mahaprasad. So, Mahaprabhu brought Jagannath Prasad to see. Let's see if Sarvabhoma reacts to this as a devotee, accepting it immediately, or he will tell me, I first have to take bath and recite my different prayers and do achaman and my morning rituals. So, he wanted to taste, to test. Let's see if Sarvabhoma's bhakti is covered or not by karma. And of course, Sarvabhoma passed passed the test, he immediately accepted Jagannath Prasad from the, from the bed directly. So Mahaprabhu was like, hmm, very pleased. No? And then, <clears throat> there's a second instance connected to this verse, where Mahaprabhu realizes, oh, Sarvabhama's bhakti is not even tinged, or tinged, by Gyan, which Gyan has an ob- as its object, Mukti. So one day Sarvabhama comes to Mahaprabhu with this verse in hand from the Bhagavatam, very disturbed, very disturbed, like, and he points to Mahaprabhu, the word mukti in the verse, I say, why the Bhagavatam is using this word mukti, such an distasteful, distasteful, distasteful word, mukti, I cannot even tolerate hearing the word, mukti, of course, he considered mukti here in the context of mostly impersonal liberation, but any form of liberation, it is said, even in Vaikuntha, Uttam Bhakta is not interested in. So, Mahaprabhu said, oh, your Bhakti, he thought, oh, his Bhakti is even not mixed with Gyan, because Gyan is, again, has as its goal Mukti, the practice of Gyan, the Gyanis, go after Mukti. And, and sometimes they engage in Bhakti for attaining Mukti. But now Sarvabhama was showing that I'm not interested, even in hearing the word Mukti. What to speak in, in Mukti itself? No? Some days ago he was the main proponent of, of Gyan in the whole Puri or in the whole world even. And after receiving Mahaprabhu's grace he was not able, able to even read the word Mukti. <laughs> so Mahaprabhu was very pleased. But he, he told Sarvabhoma, I appreciate the degree of your conversion, but uh, if the Bhagavatam uses the word Mukti, it's for some reason. So we cannot change the Bhagavatam, basically. We cannot just like scratch the word Mukti, because that's what Sarvabhama had done. He scratched Mukti and he wrote Bhakti. Because he was like, how Bhagavan will reward such a devotee with Mukti? It must be Bhakti. So he changed. And Mahaprabhu said, no, 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 we cannot change the Bhagavatam. (laughs) So there must be some other meaning to the word Mukti here, because it appears in the Bhagavatam in many places. So, basically he said, Mukti Pade, Pade means feet, one of the meanings. So Mukti Pade means means Bhakti, because Mukti Pade means that thing at whose feet Mukti resides. So that's bhakti. For someone who is a bhakta, mukti resides at the feet of he who has or she who has bhakti, offering all, like a maid servant. Bilba Mangala Thakur says in Krishna Karnamrita, mukti appears to the devotee like a maid servant, offering service, wanting to serve such a bhakta in some way or another. 
And similarly, Sanatan Goswami says the same thing. Hmm? That Pade also can mean shelter. So Mukti Pade, again, is a way of referring to Bhakti, which is the shelter of Mukti. In the Bhagavatam, there are ten main uh, topics that are described, and nine of the ten, nine of those ten are called Asrita Tattva. There are ten tattvas presented in the second canto. There are men, mentioned one after the other. So Sarga, Visarga, Manbandantara, creation, secondary creation, the dynasties of kings, and how Bhagavan protects his devotees, etc. So, Amukti is there. And, and Bhakti is there. So, it is said that <clears throat> there are, of those ten topics, nine are, are Asrita Tattva and one is Asraya Tattva. So, asra, Asrita means take something which is sheltered. And Asraya means that which is the shelter of. So, the first nine topics are sheltered in the shelter, which is the last topic. So the last topic is the Samum Bonum, as it is sometimes called, which is Krishna himself. And Mukti is the ninth topic, which is sheltered in Krishna, which is another way of saying this point. Sanatana Goswami makes this point. Bhagavan is the shelter of Mukti. And Pade means shelter. So if this verse is saying Mukti Pade, that's another way of referring to Bhagavan. So instead of Brahma saying, such a devotee obtains... Mukti, he says, such devotee obtains the shelter of Mukti, which is Bhagavan. In other words, that devotee obtains you. Brahma is praying to Krishna here, no? So he will obtain you. you. You won't give him anything less than you. In other words, you give yourself to, to such devotee. I mean, you cannot but give yourself to such a devotee, because that's your nature, Brahma is saying. You are totally you live, you are a servant of your servants. You are a devotee of your devotee. Brahma is realizing that at this point, how much you are, I mean, in love with your devotees. Now, after these verses comes a famous verse which my Guru Maharaj likes so much. Because again, Brahma is praying here after witnessing the love of the Brajavasis and how Krishna reciprocates with that love. So he having a glimpse not only of the love of the Brajavasis, but a glimpse of Krishna. Because Krishna is his guru, Krishna is Brahma's guru. And Brahma met Krishna at the beginning of creation, as the Bhagavatam shows, and Krishna appeared like in Gopavish, dressing like a Gopa, but like in kind of a more, uh, how to say, like serious stance, like more in guru figure, instructing Brahma what to do in the beginning of creation, showing Gyan Mudra. So it was more like Jai Guru did, more official. But now Brahma was seeing Krishna with the picnic with his friends and behaving in a total different way. So at the beginning, as we say, he was bewildered, but now he realized, oh, that form of Krishna that I saw that bewildered me was not in any form less than the form I saw at the beginning of creation. But actually, this form in Vrindavan is a higher form than the one I met in the beginning. So this Krishna that I'm getting a glimpse of here is a more real Krishna, if you will, than the one I thought I knew when I met him first time. And that's when Brahma starts to develop the desire for, I want to have a relationship with Krishna like the ones that these friends of Krishna has. So that's mentioned in the 
in the Bhagavatam, Krishna, Brahma wants Sakya Rasa. Vishwanath Chakravartakura and Prabhupada confirmed that in the purport. Brahma is after the experience of Sakya Bhav, which he will fully obtain in his next appearance in Gaur Lila as Haridas Thakur. Haridas Thakur is Brahma in Gaur Lila finally obtaining his desired goal of Sakya Bhav, basically. So, in this verse that I mentioned before, Aho Bhagyam, Aho Bhagyam, then Brahma is saying, Oh, how fortunate, how fortunate are the people of Braj. Because despite that you are the supreme Brahman and the source of everything, they are relating to you as a friend. And you are related to them as a friend, in friendly terms. So, what must be the fortune of those cowherd people? I mean, they are, you are God, but they are treating you on equal terms. So, what's that level of intimacy, of love? I, I, I cannot even... I am cannot even think of, conceive that I'm starting to discover such a reality. So in this way, Brahma is having a glimpse of who Krishna is actually and how much he's willing to give himself to his devotees according to how his devotees are approaching him. And the approach of the Brajabhasis is, again, totally unique. They are dealing with Krishna not as God, as we know, but as a friend, more a pati, more a pranadan, more like a, like a child, more a putra. And he's reciprocating with that. So Brahma is discovering a new Krishna now. Like, wow. And he's finding his own heart's desire. I want that for me. But he had to wait a little bit. Like he himself says in this verse, if you really hunger for my mercy, <laughs> for your mercy, he's saying, you will patiently wait while you endure the results of your previous misdeeds. So here Brahma engaged in Aparat. He offended the form of Krishna by considering he's a cheater when he was in the picnic. So, and, and he was very much at, like in some way like attached, I'm Brahma, I'm the topmost being in the universe. So here he requires some filter of humility for attaining his final goal. So in, in Gaur Lila he appears as Haridas Thakur, which is as a Muslim, which according to the Vedic view is outcased. So you can try to measure the contrast. First you are Brahma, who is the topmost higher being in the universe, Brahmana and, and all the knowledge and all the rules, and now he's born as an outcast. Like a result of, like a way of, okay, let's go down for a while. And, and of course we know that he, like he offended the form of Bhagavan, saying, oh, this is a cheater, so he had to endure some reaction. Haridas Thakur was beaten like in more than 20 markets at one point. It is said that was part of the, the treatment required, required treatment. <laughs> and finally, interestingly, as my Guru Mahesh will point, although Brahma offended the form of Krishna in, in Braj by considering his form with the Gopas like false and cheater, the, he offended the form, the Rupa of Krishna, but the name of Krishna stay with him as Haridas Thakur. The name never left him. And Haridas Thakur was the Namacharya. To what degree the name remained with him. <laughs> and through the chanting of the name, he obtained everything else. No? So, so some ideas regarding the verse. Of course, there's much more that could be said, but at least something. So if we have time for some few other questions, if you have. Brahmaji ki jai, Thakur Haridas ki jai. So any other question or, or, or comments whatever I have a question uh -huh. yeah um, I, I wondered if you can suggest uh, 
There are no tricks. The instruction, please. Treatment. Is it strong enough? Do you want me to make it strong? I have more? We can make it stronger then later, but it's okay now. Yeah, because when chanting, well, the chanting process is the question. Okay. So, when I enter into the chanting and like concentrate and start like really pay attention and engage seriously, it is so nice that one doesn't want to stop. But the difficult part is to start. Like, uh, <laughs> no, it's it's kind of a tricky that when you do, you don't want to stop, but when you don't do, you don't want to start. <laughs> there is something <laughs> in connection with this which can be <laughs> helpful. But I assume you start nonetheless. I, of course I do. But like, uh, so like you start. That's the important thing. You start. <laughs> yes. I mean, I, I might skip some time for this as well. That's the problem. That's okay. why I'm asking you okay. So, <clears throat> I think you heard the question. She was closer back to Shakti, but mostly she's saying that sometimes when we start chanting, we get the taste for that and we don't want to stop in brief. But sometimes the difficult part is to start in itself. So, how to do some, some advice in that connection? <clears throat> because in the beginning, there may, that taste may not be there. So, I think this is a difficult one, what I will say, but <laughs> it's important to understand that the spirit of chanting is not to even to, to, to taste something ourselves. But we want Krishna to taste something. We want to give Krishna, Radha and Krishna an experience. Of course, who we are to do that, but we are pretty bold. But by the grace of, of Guru and Vaishnava, we are trying that. So it's not so much that I will sit and chant so I can experience things. Because in a subtle way, we may be making Srinam like the object of our own senses or mind or experience, which of course... Srinam is totally beyond that. Atasri Krishna Namadi Nabhavit Grahyam Indriyai Sebon Mukhehi Jeevados Swayam Evashpuratida Rupa Goswami quotes this Puranic verse which says Atasri Krishna Nama Adi Krishna's Nam Adi etc. Form, quality, so on Nabhavit Grahyam Indriyai cannot be perceived by the mundane senses are beyond the reach of are adokshaya beyond the reach of uh, senses, mind, even. <clears throat> so one says, so what to do? Sebon mukehi jiva purata. But when you approach Krishna by your tongue to begin with, hmm, which is a sense, he just said senses cannot reach him, but now he's saying, Sebon sebon muke, which means with the attitude of seva through your senses. You will have a spurti. Krishna will manifest in your tongue, in your heart. So it's an interesting verse because first he's saying senses cannot reach him, but then he's saying by approaching him through the tongue, which means chanting, with a certain attitude, he will manifest. 
And the attitude is seva. What does it mean, ser seva? Service is a gener generic way of translating seva. I mean, it's okay. I, I don't have a problem, but it's not the full picture. Or we may not get the full picture by saying service. Because you have military service, you have social service, you have so many services, so it's what, which is our conception of service. So seva mostly means to give pleasure to the object of our affection. So, so the, the idea of seva is, I want to give pleasure to Krishna. It's not, I want him to give me something. So I approach the nam with my tongue in the context of seva, which means, I want to give pleasure to Krishna. I'm chanting because I want, my Guru Maharaj many times say that. No? He, he shares some, <clears throat> some moment that he once was chanting and he said, I, I will chant only for the pleasure of Krishna. No? Like implying, I'll try to do that, but sometimes I may be more expecting how I'm feeling, something is coming or not coming. But he said, no, no, I will just chant for their pleasure, trying to have that intention. And he basically said that was like the most ecstatic moment of, of chanting, when you kind of forget about yourself and really try to concentrate on seva, which is giving pleasure, no, no matter if I'm feeling or not feeling this or that, but I'm trying to make them feel something, which is, of course, much more challenging. <laughs> but that's when the, the, the chanting points to. We want them to, to feel something. We want to serve them, not for to to go even higher, if you will, <laughs> from very advanced stages. For example, the body who has affinity towards manjari bab, for example, in advanced stages, he will be singing or she will be singing trinam and conceiving the three names of the Mahamantras, names of Krishna, because we can say Hare refers to Radha, but also Hare has to do with Hari, so Hari, Krishna, and Ram. And the devotee will sing these three names of Krishna, but he, he or she will be thinking, I'm singing these names to Sri Radha, to my Swamini, to my mistress, to relieve her from the pangs of separation from her beloved. So I'm serving her and giving her some pleasure and service and relief by invoking the names of Krishna for her pleasure. To give you a glimpse of how you can sing Mahamantra in so many ways. Of course, many times we are just singing sometimes, Krishna, my mind is so crazy, help me with that. <laughs> and it's okay, I'm not, I'm not condemning that. We have to begin somewhere, and Krishna says in the Gita, Chatur Vida Bhajante Maam Jnana Jikhavis Artha Jagnasur Artha Tigyani Chabratarsama The ones who approach me are the afflicted ones who want to stop suffering, the ones who want some even wealth in this world, the ones who want just some knowledge, or the ones who are really wanting me, basically. Huh? So, but again, in time, our approach should get more and more refined. So in the beginning, we may be chanting with Krishna, give me house, give me this, give me relief from suffering, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. And at one point you realize, no, it's not about give me. It's about what can I give you? And again, in this, we can say, but I'm so fallen, what can I give him? But on some point, that will be false humility, actually. Because if you want to enter into the spiritual world, you are expected to give something to them. You are expected to provide some sort of pleasure, of service, of relief, 
of make arrangement by the grace of themselves, Krishna, Radha, and the, but you are expected to to do that for them, to offer that. So we have to begin at some point to to make this shift in our conception of instead of receiving and asking for and thinking in terms of how can I serve, basically. That's the, the that my Guru Maharaj will say, Kinkara. The word Mahaprabhu say, Ayinanda Tanuya Kinkara. Kinkara means servant. But the word Kinkara, the etymology means Kim Kara, Kim Karomi. Kim means what, and Kara means do, to do. So Kim Kara means what can I do? That's the only, how can I serve? That's the only questions that, it, that a Kinkara has in mind. How can I serve now, today, in this particular situation? What can I give? The Kinkara is not thinking, no, what can you give me? Give me, please give me. No, you are giving me the chance of giving you. That's the, 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 the idea. No, Gurudev, you are giving me the opportunity to serve you. That's all the giving I need, basically. I mean, you are giving me that. And now the only question is, how can I give back? And, and, and I don't have time for any other question outside of that context. The rest of my life, and hopefully for eternity, I will only be asking, how can I serve today? What's the necessity of the moment? And so on. So I will emphasize that today, <laughs> uh, instead of some other. That's my trick. <laughs> trying to, 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 to learn, to, to, to have some inspiration and enthusiasm for, for this idea of, okay, I will sit to chant, and I will try to do that as, as an offering of, of my heart to the divine couple, whichever is that divine couple. Radha Krishna, Krishna Balaram, whatever one's affinity, Gornitin and Sri Guru. So, I, I, I'm feeling thrilled by the, by the prospect of me sitting there for one hour, hopefully minimum, <laughs> or whatever it, we have time for, and chanting. I'm thrilled by what will happen, how can I offer myself in service. And, and basically that's what my Guru Maharaj said, that when you chant the Maha Mantra, you just try to hear the name. But the point is, try to hear the name in the context of you having this attitude of, I want to give myself in service. It's not just a very technical way, I'm just hearing and nothing else. No, I want to give myself in service and I will hear the name to see what Trinam is telling me about how can I serve, basically. I have to pay attention to the reply to my question, but my initial question is, Kinkara, how can I serve today? And you start, Hare Krishna, Hare. and let's see what Srinam is revealing in your heart today, how you can serve me better. No? But again, it's not so much about, oh, Srinam, make me feel something. Those feelings may come, but again, as we know, in very, again, I'm going to exalted examples, but in higher stages, the devotees are even like cursing ecstasy, because it comes and it's interrupting their flow of service. A famous example of Daruka, who is Krishna's chariot driver in, in Dwarka and once he's fanning Krishna and so many ecstatic symptoms are coming and he started to tremble and almost to faint and he's just like cursing the ecstasy like get out of here no, I don't want you you are, you are interrupting my offering, my service so, again we cannot imitate but those role models are pointing to us how we should like conceive our approach, you know, in which direction all this will converge. No? So, like the famous example of this <laughs> lady which told Prabhupada, well, when I sing Maha Mantra, I feel so many things. 
No. <laughs> I mean, one may say, oh, really, I would like to feel so many things. What, which things were you feeling? And, and she's told proper. I start to feel red lights appearing in here on, on this particular section of my third eye. And all, this, all this type of almost psychedelic uh, descriptions, no? So, so which was Prabhupada's reply? And he didn't say, congratulations, and that's the idea that we experience and feel so many. Th he said, keep chanting and the red light will disappear soon. No? <laughs> Like implying, chanting is not about seeing red lights and like, feeling stuff, but about increasing our service disposition, basically. And that service disposition will increase so much that when you reach Golok, there won't be time for chanting, basically. <laughs> Nobody's chanting rounds in Golok Brindavan. They don't have a fixed number of jap or something, because they are too engaged in, in serving them, in... in, in, in in embracing the fruit of their chanting as sadakas. No? What, how can I serve, please? I want to serve, I want to serve. Okay, there will be a corresponding land where you will be only doing that for him. Of course, in the context of that, they are doing Harinam, Sankirtan, and chanting so many names, but but that, that that's a point. No? So I will try to like, yeah, educate the mind in that sense. No? If the mind is like, uh, I don't want to start, I, I'm not feeling anything, Okay, let's have a dialogue with the mind. So why do you want to feel something? Who are you to feel something? We are not here to make this holy name an, an object of our experiences, and I want to feel... So one needs to know how to have a conversation with one's own mind and discipline the mind and, and sit down and try to humbly pray for, for Seva, basically. So, and again, it, there is not no magical easy formula that is telling you and oh that will be so easy to do Maras that will work perfectly no what works perfectly is not easy to do basically <laughs> not because the chanting in itself is difficult but because we are the difficult ones I mean chanting is not difficult we are difficult a difficult case <laughs> a complex case and the more we are difficult we feel those things who, who, who which should be easy as difficult not because chanting is... I mean, chanting is not difficult. You open your mouth... I mean, it's so easy comparatively to other processes. Bhakti is like... Like a joke almost. In how easy it is. Susukam kartum abhyayam, says Krishna. This is easy. In comparison. <laughs> to Gyan and Yoga, which say... You become celibate, accept sannyas, go to the cave, practice this tapasya, this renunciation. Uh, you get like... Scared by that. Bhakti is... You can be a Grihasta, Grihetako, Vanetako, Sadahari, Bolitako, whether you are in the forest or in the or in the house, you can practice Bhakti, because so powerful is Bhakti. But still, we have to deal with some difficulties, but are not they are not there in Bhakti. It's not that chanting is difficult, it's comp we are difficult. So it's important to have this type of integrity and every time this happens is remind ourselves. If I'm finding difficulty here, it's because there are some obstacles in my own heart that I need to deal with. And eventually that won't be difficult. That will be the most natural, unresistible, irresistible thing in my life. I will be totally drawn and attracted to that. But first I have to, to deal with those things, and that implies yeah, discipline and intelligence and knowing how to deal with the mind and not just getting, like, like how do you say, like, yeah just being carried by 
what my mind is dictating at that moment. How do I feel in my mind? There, those are material emotions. I do not feel like chanting today. That's not your heart coming out. That's the mind just like whimsically, like screaming, basically. So then you need to understand, no, this is not me. This is not my real interest. This is some superficial distortion. I won't pay attention to that. And, and you will do your thing. And, and the more you do that properly, with proper understanding, the more the mind will become a friend, eventually. At, at one point, the mind will be taking you to chanting. I mean, that's what Krishna says. Minds can be your worst enemy or your best friend. It's just about how you deal with it. So now we may feel it's still my, maybe not my worst enemy anymore, but still some, I perceive there is some opposition there. <laughs> but eventually the mind gets fully spiritualized and will be totally like collaborating with our sadhana. But for that we need to reach at least a stage of nishta, where we will experience that stability. And after nishta everything will be just more, as my Guru Master likes to say, before nishta everything is like, how do you say in English? When we are walking up, uphill. So we are walking uphill. So it takes some effort, like, oh my gosh. No? Yesterday I was seeing a class of Brigupa who was describing the Parikram in Barsana. And if you want to go to Radharani's place in Barsana, Sriji's Mandir called, Sriji Mandir, that's like really uphill. And it has like very particular steps that so you need to like to... <laughs> so, I mean, it's not easy to get there. <laughs> so you need to walk uphill. So it's like this, oh... It feels like an opposition, it's like obstacle, it's like effort, but it's with the proper intention and ideal in mind. So, <clears throat> till you reach Nishta, the process will be uphill. In Nishta, you reach the top of the hill, so it's no longer uphill, and you have a glimpse of what's on the other side of the mountain. And you see the beautiful valley of love of God waiting for you, Prem, on the other side. But till you are on the top of the mountain in Nishta, on the valley of love from here, there is some st still some uh, section to walk, but all that will be downhill. No? Ruchi, asakti, bhava, you will be carried by taste, carried by attachment, carried by ecstasy. So the mind is no longer a problem there, but first you have to do that uphill section, and for that we need to use our head to soften our heart, as my Guru will say, and know how to deal with all those emotions that may come, work on them, and eventually we will get to that top, so we are on our way there, so don't lose, don't lose hope. <laughs> and again, if sometimes we feel we are losing the battle and, and the mind is almost swallowing me, as Raghunadas Goswami says in Manasiksha, which is a very important text for instructing the mind, that's the name of the, that poetry, he said, whenever you feel that you are being, being almost swallowed by this anartas, you just go running and asking and shouting for help to the agents of the policemen of the, of the agency of Bhagavan, the Vaishnavas. He says like this. No? Because sometimes we may feel, okay, I understand, Maharaj, I try to remember, the, but, but it's, something is screaming too loud. So you just run, fall at the feet of a Vaishnava and let the Vaishnava scream even louder, if you will, <laughs> and present some powerful instruction, revelation to overcome the, the mind, which is nonetheless comparatively weaker than what a Vaishnava can tell us if we are open to that. So that's basically the treatment, and the rest is 
engage in it. No, there's nothing that replaces practice. Practice makes perfect, as they say. There's no way out of, of that. <laughs> and that's not, not so easy. I, I was in India now and, and I was speaking with one well-known sadhu there, Babaji, who is very learned, extremely learned, and, and, and very well-known for his discourses. And he was given three classes per day when I was there at Radhakund. Uh, every every day of Kartik, that was like his bow, three, three Harikatas every day, intense, very nice. <laughs> and he was saying, oh, to speak prachari is easy, he said. I can sit and speak Harikata, he was saying, for hours. And it's just like, flows naturally. I mean, I have no problem doing that. But bhajan, he said, that's not easy. <laughs> like, like sitting and dealing with all that I have to deal, that's not so easy. I can, in other words, I can sit and tell people what to do and quote Shastra and tell Leela. And that can be relatively easy. Of course, that's, that's not the idea of how prachar should be done, just like professional discourse. It's like an overflow of our own practice. But he was making this point, like you can, like he was not a cheater, so he was, but he was saying, you can be, become very expert in speaking, and everyone likes, and everyone glorifies, and it's no problem for you, and you know the Shastra, and blah, blah, blah. But another thing is to sit by yourself in your bhajan kutri, door closed, facing whatever you have to face and dealing with all that in bhajan. He said, that's not easy. And he was saying that. So the, not, not to get discouraged, but just to understand there is no way, no easy way out of this. No, do not try to cheat yourself trying to find the, the magical formula that everything will be easily and magical. It doesn't work like that. No, we need to face all the, as, as I would like to say, the non-integrated complexity <laughs> that is still there. <laughs> and learn how to integrate that, how to make that part of our devotional project. So, so we are still in that, and that's a glorious messiness, as it's said by Artana Siddhi. It's messy, it's messy, but it's beautiful at the same time. There's beauty and messiness of the sadhaka's life. So, Okay, so I think we will finish today here. So thank you so much for your time and questions, and see you... Well, tomorrow, Sunday, we won't have Q&A in the morning. We will have uh, the section of, of Navadip Pastimes of Mahaprabhu in the morning, since in the evening I have one meeting with Namrasa Prabhu, uh, another episode, so I, I will be more concentrated on that in the evening. But also today in the evening we will have a meeting for Navadip Lila, so hope to see you there. Srila Gurudev Ki Jai. Sriman Mahaprabhu ki jai, Sri Sri Radha Damodarju ki jai, Harinam Sankirtan ki jai, Gaur Bhakta Vrinda ki jai, Gaur Praman, Haribo.